0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And there's Jerry to my right. <laughs> this is Stuff You Should Know.
0: Why are your eyes closed? Oh, is it creeping you out? You sound like a sweaty Balls, Alec Baldwin's Shweaty <laughs> yeah. Balls skit from Saturday Night Live. Man, that just... That wafted right over here now. I'm all mellow. You mellow? Yeah. You irie? Yes, I love that the beginning of this article um talks about uh Botox.
1: I thought it was a pretty good uh pretty well, good it, intro.
0: It was though. It said, like, you know, one day we're gonna look back on injecting uh botulinum toxin A into your face and think that's just crazy. Yeah. I'm like, I think it's crazy now. Oh, okay. You yeah. know?
1: Yeah. I see what you mean. It's nuts. Yeah, if you step back and look at it, for sure. Paralyzing your face muscles to look younger? Yeah, especially if you've ever seen Dead Calm. Why? Did you ever see that movie? Yeah, with the out on the water with the boat? Yeah, remember he said that's what happened to the other people on the boat is that they all got botulism and died. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, that was his whole... That was his whole, whole setup? Ex- his excuse or his explanation for what happened was botulism. Hmm. But, yeah, that's what I think of when I think... Botulism is dead calm. Yeah, and, and with Botox he end up looking like a freak.
0: Oh, don't be judgmental. I'm not being judgmental, but
1: <laughs> it was pretty judgmental.
0: No, yeah, that's judgmental, I guess. But okay. yeah, I think I think it, it that's my stance is if you want to do that then more power to you. But I think people look weird when they <laughs> look consistently <laughs> surprised.
1: <laughs> so they don't they don't use it just for that. Oh, no. they used to treat migraines. Mm-hmm. Uh, excessive sweatiness. Ooh, I should get it. Also known as hyperhidrosis. Yeah. What um, Botox? Mm-hmm.
0: What, like in the uh, armpit or the hands? Yeah,
1: like directly in there. I guess this toxin goes in and like deadens the the nerve cells. Maybe. I um. can't remember. The point is, we're both agreed, sure, even in a roundabout way, that it is a very strange, bizarre, you might say, mm-hmm. medical treatment to inject toxin into your face to look youthful. Yeah, I was judgy. I, I take it all back. It's all right, man.
0: People want to do what they want to do. That's fine. I just, uh, my personal feeling is that it doesn't have the desired effect to make you look like you think you look. <laughs>
1: proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, Chuck, botulism, botulin, mm-hmm. Botox, we should say, <clears throat> is pretty much nothing compared to some of the other stuff that... We've used in the past. Yeah. And in some cases, still continue to use because this is all based on an article on House Divorce called 10 Bizarre Treatments Doctors Used to Think We're Legit. It turns out that some of the stuff actually still is legit. Yeah.
0: And, um you know, we should plug our friends over at Sawbones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Justin and his wife, uh, Dr. Sidney McElroy and Justin does the My Brother and My Brother and Me podcast with his brothers. They have a spinoff, not spinoff, they have their own podcast called right. Sawbones where they talk about right. antiquated medical, uh, so that's all they talk about. Right. Is antiquated medical treatments. And they said they were inspired by our podcast to start that one.
1: Yeah, but every time we send somebody over to listen to them, they don't come back. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. Stop it. I guess. Yeah, we created a monster. (laughs) But
0: anyway, um, we are in turn inspired by them and, uh, it's just a big, uh. Bloodfest. We're we're blowing smoke up each other's butts. Tobacco smoke. (laughs) I tried to see if that was literally where that term came from, Mm -hmm. to blow smoke up up your arse. Mm -hmm. But, uh, all it did was redirect to the fact that people used to do this for real. And I don't know if that's really where the term came from or not.
1: I don't, I don't either. I can tell you where the treatment supposedly came from. Yeah. It came from a legend. It looks like a legend. I think at the time they took it as a factual story that a man rescued his drowned wife from a river, I think in France, and, um, didn't know what to do. And a soldier just happened to walk by and said, take this pipe and blow the smoke, like stick one end into her rectum and blow on the lid end until she comes to.
0: I don't think we've even said yet what we're talking about, which is a tobacco enema.
1: We're no sawbones.
0: Tobacco enema is literally blowing tobacco smoke up the rectum of an individual for a health reason.
1: Right. And in this case, the original reason was to revive a drowning victim, which is apparently what it was initially used for. Uh, when it came into widespread use. And uh, I guess it was in widespread use. And apparently it did work in this initial legend. The wife came to on the fifth blow <laughs> and went to a local bar and got a drink and then went home after being resuscitated from drowning and then having a pipe in her rectum with smoke blown up her butt. Yes. <laughs> and, um, there, there's speculation that if, if it did work, it was the, intrusion of the pipe or later on the bellows, Uh that probably did it. But the thinking at the time was that nicotine was a stimulant and that this would directly stimulate the person back to life.
0: That's right. Uh, You mentioned drowning victims that it was so commonly used as a method for helping drowning victims that this equipment was um, put alongside major waterways, (laughs) like very much like we would have a... um, Defibrillator today. Mm -hmm. They had these along like the River Thames and you had to know where they were. And, uh, in 1774, doctors William Hawes and Thomas Cogan, um, in London formed the Institution for Affording Immediate Relief to Persons Apparently Dead from Drowning. And they later changed that name to the Royal Humane Society. That makes a lot, that's a (laughs) lot better. And they uh, promoted this, uh, method by paying people four guineas, uh, to anyone who could successfully revive a drowning victim.
1: Huh. I'll bet in those kits along the waterways, yeah. you go to use it and the tobacco would be missing because local 12-year-olds <laughs> had gotten into it. That's
0: a good point. Uh, and there was even a little rhyme at the British Medical Association in 1774 at a meeting. Um, tobacco glister, because it was also called uh, glister, G-L-Y-S-T-E-R, mm-hmm. these kits. Uh, tobacco glister, breathe and bleed. Keep warm and rub till you succeed and spare no pains for what you do. May one day be repaid to you. <laughs> what is
1: going on? Uh, you know, what goes around comes around. What's going on and in I the 18th think century trying in, to in say. England? Where I guess if you're in, if you're giving a tobacco enema to somebody and you know that that little rhyme, sure. you probably would stop because you'd be like, I don't want this coming back to me. I'd I just so. rather pass on to the next world.
0: Uh, well, Dr. Richard Mead was the first guy who pioneered this in mid-1700s, and by 1811, it was kaput, because they were like, no, this is not working, and it's bad for you.
1: Yeah. And you're blowing smoke up someone's butt. <laughs> right. What are you thinking? And then later on, doctors were used to prescribe cigarettes going yeah. through the other end. That's right. Which is all untrue, supposedly. Oh, really? Yeah, I guess that was the Edward Bernays thing. Oh, yeah. intent. <laughs>
0: Um, all right, next up we have uh, Mercury. Um, if you've ever heard or if you've ever seen the awesome exhibit, the Terracotta Soldiers, mm-hmm. did you ever see that? No. Um, China's uh, first emperor, Qin Shi Qi Huang. Um, he was the one
1: with the Terracotta Soldiers?
0: Yeah, he was the one that was buried in like this basically underground city that was so vast mm-hmm. and had all these Terracotta Soldiers guarding him. Right. And his own specific tomb, they've, they've I was about to say raided much of it, but... They've explored much of it, but not his actual tomb still because it has a moat of liquid mercury around it.
1: So he's still in situ because of the look. Yeah. That's pretty neat.
0: Pretty neat. And um, he took the stuff as uh, to make himself immortal, <clears throat> um, which is ironic because it's super toxic and it killed him before he was
1: 40. Yeah. But. Had the opposite effect. It did. Um, his death didn't apparently get out to the rest of the world. Because mercury was used in other kinds of medicines for a very long time, apparently up until the 40s. Um, if you had syphilis, your doctor would give you some sort of ointment, sometimes an injection of mercury, to treat syphilis. Yeah. And it may or may not have treated syphilis, but it would definitely make your teeth fall out <laughs> and uh, make you what would, I guess, generously be called agitated. Yes. Yes. It had. There's a host of horrible things that can happen to you from mercury exposure.
0: Yeah, like death. Um, Cinnabar was what they used in uh, China as the ore of mercury for two thousand years, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's just I find it crazy that I know it was the first emperor of, of uh, China, so it was a long mm-hmm. time ago, but it just seems weird that hey, take this thing to make you live forever when it's actually one of the most toxic things you can put in your body. Yes. They had it backwards.
1: Supposedly, Jeremy Piven had mercury poisoning in oh, yeah. 2008 From sushi, right? he was eating sushi twice a day. I remember that. <laughs> and then I heard that sushi. <laughs> and then
0: I think I remember hearing that that wasn't true mm-hmm. and it was maybe it was like made up to get out of a movie or something. <laughs> I don't know. i have to look into that again. I definitely remember when that happened though. Yeah. Pretty strange. Sure. I mean, I love sushi like yeah. anyone. Go back and listen to our sushi podcast. Yeah. But, uh, I've never had mercurial or mercury poisoning.
1: So, Chuck, up next is one of my favorites, but I could find almost nothing more on this. I found that it it did, in fact, exist. Yeah, me too. And there's schematics and stuff on the on the Internet. But the whirling chair, there's not much to it.
0: No. um, Again, mid 19th century, when um, the mentally ill were treated very poorly. Yeah. Locked away, put in iron cages. Um, they had one thing I found called a tranquilizing chair and it's basically, it looks like an electric chair. You're just sitting up completely strapped in, um, but you have a box over your head.
1: Well, what's <laughs> funny is, is that was one of the more humane yeah. techniques for treating mental illness. Yeah. That was like the result of the, the, um, humanism progressive movement from the mid 19th century. That's crazy and sad. Oh yeah. Yeah. The history of the treatment of mental illness, not just like... Yeah, we've talked about it a lot. Just across the ages is yeah. really, really sad. Yeah, very misunderstood and still is in a lot of ways, yeah. I think.
0: Um, but the the whirling chair was uh, was not a lobotomy. It was not an ice shower mm-hmm. or a laxative.
1: Or an insulin coma. Or an insulin
0: coma. It was much better. It was a chair with a spring and lever system, basically, where they... Um, it looks like they had a... Uh, like a it was hooked up to a...
1: Like a crank?
0: Yeah, like a crank that you basically just spun these people around until they passed out.
1: Yeah. And based on the schematics I saw, if you were the operator, you had to wear pantaloons. Yes.
0: (laughs) That's right. And apparently they would say uh, it would cure your schizophrenia um, because it would shuffle the contents of your brain in just the right way.
1: Yeah. Like imagine being strapped to a chair that was spun around where you became so dizzy that you passed out. Yeah. And on top of it. You have schizophrenia.
0: Right. And then on top of that, they came out and you say, How are you feeling? Is, are you
1: cured? I'm, I'm cured, yes. <laughs> Can I please go home now?
0: Yeah, seriously.
1: They're like, Hey, at least we're not burning you at the stake for being a witch.
0: <laughs> um, I wish there was more out there on that, too, though. I think a lot of this stuff is just, it went the way of the dodo. So there's, you know, not much info on it.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's like nothing. Yeah. It's just there was such a thing as a whirling chair, here's how it worked. And the reason why they used it was to rearrange your brain if you had schizophrenia. That's right. So uh, we'll keep going because this is a lot of fun. Yes, it is. But first we have to take a commercial break and we will do that right now. We're back, Chuck. And Chuck, do you remember, what did we record on yesterday where we were talking about anti T Tea. Tea. Um, so remember we talked about how oxygen goes through and, and steals electrons from other other atoms and other molecules to stabilize itself? Yes. And that's the process of oxidation? Yes. If you take that process and multiply it by powers of millions... Okay. What you have is radiation poisoning. Exposure, high levels of uh, exposure to high levels of radiation is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Um, for, for the most part, we do everything we can to avoid this kind of thing. Um, but it turns out that in the, um, late 19th century, early 20th century, there were a lot of products on the shelf that did the opposite, that introduced radiation in the form of radium yeah um in the in the hopes that it would promote health and cure disease
0: yeah, uh Mary and Pierre Curie discovered it in eighteen ninety eight and by nineteen ten um the u s was manufacturing synthetic radium yeah uh to use in such things like um radium chocolata, yeah from Birkin brown it was uh or radium bread from the Hitman block bakery
1: radium bread It was
0: bread baked with radium water. And popular until 1936.
1: And radium water was a big thing. The reason why it was a big thing, apparently, it kicked all of this off because there are natural spas in places like Hot Springs, Arkansas. Mm -hmm. Um, And somebody started investigating the waters and found radon there. And they said, well, radon, that's radioactive. Where can we find that? And They said, how about radium? So they started putting radium in everything.
0: Yeah, they had. Uh, here's some of the other products, and you can look these up. They're a lot of fun when you look at these old school ads. You know, <laughs> uh, for the Revigator, it was a um, a radium laced bucket basically uh, with a little spigot. It's like a little water tank. That oh, would hold okay. your water. So
1: it just introduced radiation to you, whatever water you put in.
0: Yep. Or you could get what they called the a radium coin mm-hmm. that you could just drop like an Alka Seltzer into your water. Oh, nice. Um, there was the Radium Scope, which was a toy in 1942 that. uh Offered the luminescence and the ad also said it also doubles as a wonderful nightlight because it glows. No. Oh yeah. <laughs> wow. It was for kids. Wow. Uh, toothpaste. Um, but from a man named Alfred Curie who was no relation. Really? Even though he used that to his advantage. I'm sure. The Curie name. And he also, um, had the Thoradia brand of cosmetics, uh, rejuvenates and brightens the skin.
1: This also kind of brings to focus why Little kids' chemistry sets frequently included radioactive materials, like in the middle of the 20th century. Because it glowed? Well, no, because like you could get it in water if you wanted to, or cosmetics, or contraceptives, or chocolate. So why wouldn't you put it in a kid's chemistry set, too? Sure. So before, I didn't understand that. Now I understand. (laughs) So supposedly, the trend really started to die off in the 30s, though, um, thanks to something called Radithor. And Radithor was a little uh, tincture that you would take, these little uh, couple fluid ounce bottles that were highly radioactive. They had just tons of radium in them. And I guess one of the owners or one of the investors in the company, his name was uh, Eben Byers. He was a pro golfer too, I believe. (laughs) Um, He very publicly died of radiation poisoning because he drank three bottles of this stuff a day. Wow. So after that, the public was like, maybe we shouldn't be doing this anymore.
0: Well, another thing they used it for, uh, between 1917 and 1926, the U.S. Radium Corporation, um, used luminous paint to paint clocks, uh, clock faces. Oh, yeah. So you could see them. Yeah. And, uh, workers were even taught to shape paintbrushes with their mouths to maintain a finer point. So they were sticking the oh, paintbrushes yeah. with the paint on them in their mouth. Man. And, uh, they encouraged them to paint their nails, their teeth, uh, and to ingest it, but management, suspiciously, always stayed away and avoided exposure themselves. And I know there were a bunch of uh, lawsuits because of that. And uh, the other thing I found, too, was they used it uh, before Viagra and Cialis. There were, um, they called them Bougies, B-O-U-G-I-E-S, um, radioactive wax rods inserted into the urethra. Ah.
1: <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah, for a number of reasons. Yeah.
0: Or um, they had like an athletic supporter containing a layer of um, radium impregnated fabric that you would wear if you had trouble getting an erection.
1: It's not nearly as bad as the rods. <laughs> no, no. All right. How
0: about urotherapy, dude?
1: So this one apparently is labeled quack medicine. Yeah. But there's a lot of. There's a lot. It makes sense intuitively. Yeah. So u- urotherapy
0: drinking or ingesting or having your own urine shot into your bloodstream
1: yeah yeah some people inject it yeah it's still a thing it is still a thing yeah um, here's why urine is a byproduct of the blood um, and when so in urine 95 percent of your urine is water two and a half percent roughly is urea mm-hmm. which is actually a um, has antimicrobial antimicrobial antifungal and antibacterial product or um, Properties, yeah, and um, it also has another two and a half percent minerals, stuff like that, salts, things like that. Um, apparently, if your blood is toxic, you have toxins in your blood. Your body, cl- it, your body's triggered to clean it out, and your urine is clean. If your urine has toxins in it, your blood is cleaned out too. There's like the symbiotic um, feedback loop, where. If one's clean, the other one's clean. If one's toxic, the other one's toxic. And that you can trigger a blood cleaning, your yeah. blood cleaning drive, supposedly by drinking your own urine, by reintroducing the toxins over and over again, um, your blood could be conceivably cleaner. That's the thinking behind this. Yeah. And there's actually, it, it, again, intuitively it makes sense.
0: Yeah, they—they they, some people still think it can stimulate uh, your immune system and actually fight cancer. Exactly. Basically, by making your your body basically your immune system react more vigorously. Right. Um,
1: it's like running it through the ringer on purpose.
0: Yeah. The problem is, is there is no evidence behind it. Exactly. Uh, there have been individual reports um, of it stopping cancer growth, but no scientific evidence um, has come out in favor of it. But people still do it.
1: Yeah. And there's also been tons of uh, stories about people surviving for days and weeks by drinking their own urine after being trapped in like a collapsed hotel or something like that. Right. Um, But yeah, there's still, I I guess, pockets of people who engage in urine therapy.
0: Yeah. And um, also, we should mention, it does not help your jellyfish sting either.
1: I did did a Don't Be Dumb on that. Oh, really? It actually... Definitely makes your jellyfish thing worse. Yeah, that's
0: another one of those things. Like, why do people say that if it makes it worse? I don't know. It was that an episode of Friends, for God's sake? I know.
1: You know? And they propagated the lie. <laughs> Jerks. Who peed on who? I can't remember. I think, uh. Didn't they all pee on Monica? Yeah, I think
0: Monica got peed on, but I don't know if it was everybody. Maybe it was everybody. Of course they didn't show it. It probably wouldn't have been. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, Courtney Cox. All right, this next one, um <clears throat> bit of a warning. It is sexual in nature. So uh, if you're listening, maybe you should go ask your mom or dad if you should continue listening.
1: If you're a, a child.
0: Yeah, an honest kid. Or no,
1: if you're an adult. <laughs> you
0: <should laughs> Call up your elderly mother or father. Yeah. Say, can I listen to something about the female orgasm?
1: Right, which supposedly, apparently, for especially in the Victorian age, but for centuries before that... Um, was widely considered not to exist. Yeah. Right? Um, But, strangely, there was a medical procedure that women would undergo called um, a pelvic massage.
0: Yes. To treat, I don't think we even said, hysteria. Right. uh, Because women were hysterical, quote unquote.
1: Right. They couldn't have orgasms, but they could have hysteria.
0: Yeah. Which we should point out, what hysteria was is... Normal female sexuality. Okay. We know that now. Right. But back then it was hysteria.
1: So somehow, somewhere along the way, and apparently there's there's evidence that in ancient Greece the pelvic massage was carried out. Yeah. But in the Victorian age, you would go to your doctor if you're a woman and get a pelvic massage, and then you would be brought to what was called hysterical paroxysm, which is? Orgasm.
0: Right, which which didn't exist. That's right. Uh, They also, it was hysteria or wandering womb um, was what it was also called.
1: Well, wandering womb was different. Oh, it was? Yeah, that was like um, the idea, and apparently Hippocrates either at at least espoused it if he didn't come up with it. That was the idea that the womb or the uterus floated freely inside the Uh, woman, and if it moved around... Too far, it could cause all sorts of other problems. Gotcha. So it's different than hysteria.
0: But the treatment was the same. Yes. Which was bringing a woman to climax. Right. A doctor.
1: A hysterical paroxysm.
0: Yes. And the doctor would do this um, initially uh, using his hands. And, um, you know, I read one article from the New York Times about it and it said there is no evidence that the male physicians enjoyed this. On the contrary, uh, this male elite sought every opportunity to substitute uh, other devices um, or have the husband or a midwife uh, come in and, you know, take care of business for them. Gotcha. So uh it wasn't some pervy doctor. There was just a lot of misunderstanding going on at the time. Uh, they yeah, said all, o- they, all over. They said by the end of the 19th century, 75% of women suffered from hysteria, uh, which can also be read as 75% of American women were normal sexual human beings. Right and i guess the other 25% were just repressed and didn't know they should be or could be mm-hmm. normal sexual human beings. Right. So it's just crazy that they called it hysteria. It's um and that it went up until the 1920s.
1: So you were saying that that doctors were looking for any kind of substitute they could get their hands on. Yeah. Well, apparently in the late 19th century somebody introduced the vibrator. After that it it became a medical device originally when it was introduced, right?
0: Yeah, because it brought that uh, time to achieve the hysterical paroxysm down from anywhere up to an hour down to about ten minutes, yep. um, ideally. And um, you could buy them at Sears and Roebuck. You know, it was like you said, a medical device, mm-hmm. and uh, women loved them. And uh, by the 1920s, they started to appear in erotic films, and that's when people were like, "Oh, well, this is not something we should use."
1: This is no longer a medical device.
0: Yeah, which is interesting. It's all sort of backwards, isn't it?
1: So this one to me, Chuck, the next one, leeches.
0: Yeah, we talked a little bit about medical leeches before because they are still around, um, which is kind of hard to believe if you've never heard that little tidbit.
1: Yeah, this is why in the intro I was saying like, hey, some of this stuff still works. Right. And leeches are a sterling example of that. So for a very long time, you know, barbers were originally called barber surgeons. Yeah. And they were called that because they would perform lots of surgery, which is why the barber pole is red and white. Supposedly, right. they would hang their bloody towels, and they would flip around in the wind. Mm-hmm. And the barber pole is symbolic of that. Bloody towels whipped around in the wind outside really? of barbers. Yeah. Supposedly. That's the legend as far as I know. I, th- I think it's true. I believe it. But one of the things that barbers would engage in was bloodletting.
0: Yeah. Um, you remember the old Saturday Night Live skit with Steve Martin years ago? mm mm-hmm. He was a barber, you know, this is in the 70s, I think, mm-hmm. when he was a guest. And uh, people would come in for everything, and he's like, you just need a good bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, everything under the sun people would come in for. Yeah. Let's just put a lancet in there and open up a vein. Right. See what happens. Yeah. And that's basically what they did. They would, you know, it was a more spiritual thing, like the evil spirits would be out.
1: Yeah. Through your blood. Or like we mentioned in the anesthesia episode, they would use that for anesthesia. Yeah. In do stupor for, through blood loss. But... um. The, they wouldn't always use lancets. Oh, and apparently that was one of the reasons why George Washington may have died, was just too much bloodletting. Oh, really? His doctor really, really put his foot on the gas with bloodletting when he was that. on his deathbed. Huh. Yeah. You should go to Mount Vernon. Didn't you go? <laughs> yeah, I've been a couple of times. There was like a whole, they have like, I think there's the bloodletting bowl that they used on him still there. Oh, I didn't even notice. There's a separate museum that's like brand new. I went to all that stuff. Is that where
0: it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the, I mean, you know, there's the bed that he died in, right yeah. here. Yeah, you can go lay in blood it.
1: Bloodletting bowls right there. <laughs> yes, yeah. You can't go lay in it. Um, but the uh, the it, rather than lancets, they would also sometimes use or very frequently use leeches, and they've been using them for thousands of years, apparently, for bloodletting.
0: Yeah, and uh, this was back when they practiced what was known as humoral medicine. Uh, based on the four humors in the body, mm-hmm. which is everyone knows because of the popular t-shirt we sell, uh, phlegm, yellow bile, black bile, and blood are the four humors.
1: Right. What t-shirt do we sell?
0: I was just kidding. We uh, should have one. Yeah, totally. The four humors just have that on there. <laughs> and then S-Y-S-K on the front. Okay. We
1: could be a big seller. Yeah, sure. Who doesn't want a shirt that
0: says black bile and phlegm?
1: Yeah, phlegm. <laughs> um so with bloodletting, or with using leeches for bloodletting, uh, everyone who, I think it was the the Indians originally, from India, yeah. uh, who came up with this, using leeches for bloodletting, and they were really on to something. Sure. Because, like you said, medical leeches are still in use today. Here in the United States, they are an FDA-approved medical device. That's right. And leeches secrete something called Herudin. Hir- hir- mm-hmm. That's what I'm going with Herudin. Herudin? H I R U D I N I'll bet the guys from Sawbones would have said it right. <laughs> um And in in their saliva, you will find Herudin, and Herudin is an anticoagulant.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or no, it's a coagulant. Yes. So it keeps you from bleeding to death. Right. Um it, it has antibiotic properties. Okay. It's a numbing agent, and it's a vasodilator. Right, yeah. Which means that it relaxes your your blood so it can flow more freely. That's right. But it also is an anticoagulant, so you don't bleed to death. A coagulant. All of this in leech saliva. Yeah. And they use it today um, for like skin grafts uh-huh. and for um, uh, when they reattach limbs, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I think we had someone even write in and send us pictures mm-hmm. of their medical leeches. Yeah, which are in little vials. It's pretty cool. It is pretty neat.
1: But I mean, this is an ancient, ancient, millennia-old medical technique that is still to this day used, and it's an FDA-approved medical device now. Leeches are. I just think that's really cool.
0: It is super cool. Uh, you know, because it means it's there's still an open mind in the medical community.
1: Oh yeah, it's way open. You know, we'll <laughs> try whatever. Uh, we are going to keep going. I say we do all 10 for the first time ever. What about you? Yeah, let's do it. All right. We're going to keep going right after this. Mm -hmm. All right, Chuck. We're back, yeah, man. We're taking it home with.
0: I'm just. I'm doing some. uh, I'm taking some medicine, man. Some some cocaine and opium. I bought it at the corner store.
1: Yeah, and then you could buy your rig to inject it from the Sears catalog. Yeah, my cocaine kit. Yeah, and scene. So, (laughs) were we doing a scene? I was playing myself. (laughs) Yeah, I was doing a scene. Uh, So apparently, you could get morphine. Cocaine, all this stuff um very very easily, and in tons of medical or medicine and elixirs that you would buy over the counter in the nineteenth century,
0: yeah, not just medicines um cocaine was in a lot of stuff, um most notably coca-cola at first, um oh yeah, cocaine tooth drops
1: and mm-hmm.
0: you give your kids, yeah. Cocaine throat lozenges.
1: We did, you just reminded me, we did a gallery. There's a gallery on stuff you should know. Uh, like, um. You have the cocaine poster, right? The, the kid, uh. Yeah, cocaine tooth drops. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like crazy medical ads or medicine, pharmaceutical ads from yeah. yesteryear.
0: We'll put that up when this is really, yeah. it's good stuff. Yeah,
1: but that one's in there, the cocaine tooth drops. And it's got like a little kid <laughs> playing happy because he's on cocaine. Yeah, playing vigorously. And look at this kid. Did you see uh, Mrs. Winslow's Soothing Syrup for teething children? I did. Look at how wasted that kid is. Yeah, he can't even pick his head up off the pillow. It's hilarious. His eyes are half-lidded. He's yeah.
0: like, I love teething. Um, for the throat lozenges, the ad says, uh, Indispensable for singers, teachers, and orators. <laughs> to quiet a sore throat. <laughs> and to quiet the demons in your head. Yeah, they, or to add the demons in your head. Or how about this? Cocaine wine. Cocaine wine. Uh, <laughs> what? the coca wine market was really big. Um, I've not heard of that. Yeah. The Vin Mariana was the most recognized and most popular brand at the time, but there were a lot of them. Uh, and that's just cocaine. We also talked about opium. Um, there was something, I saw another ad for something called Stickney pores, uh, paragoric and McCormick made that, the popular spice maker. And they even have the recommended doses for infants, children, and adults. <laughs> And it was forty six percent alcohol, and the rest was opium. Wow, ninety two proof, man. And I can't. Oh, remember. is that
1: laudanum or laudanum? Oh, laudanum. Yeah, no, but that was like an opium well, alcohol mix, right? Yeah, maybe. I guess it was laudanum. Huh? Um, is that how you say it, laudanum? Yeah, I think
0: so. Gotcha. It's not the same as delauded, right? Right. It's right. different.
1: But delauded is an opiate, but it's like a, a. It's just a straight up opiate that's used for. Medicine,
0: Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. People just used to, like, put a few drops under their tongue. Right. And, like, it would Start soothe their child. Or, like, uh, I know we've talked about the um, Soderbergh's TV show. Uh, oh, The Nick. The Nick. Is that on still? I don't know. I haven't kept up with it lately, but the, in the opening episodes, I mean, the doctor, what's his face, is like shooting cocaine between his toes yeah. on a daily basis.
1: I watched Ed Wood again the other day. First of all, it's even better than yeah. ever. It's a great movie. Bill Murray, so great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I I forgot Martin Landau is like a junkie in it.
0: Yeah. He's an opium fiend. What, what yeah, yeah. But yeah. He, he
1: injects it using his Sears and Roebuck opium injection kit. Oh, was it Sears and Roebuck? Uh, no,
0: but probably. Yeah, they used to sell lots of crazy things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, strong drugs available over the counter. Yeah. Until people wised up uh, and started making strong drugs uh, pharmaceutical style.
1: Right. Yeah. They're like, you can't have this anymore unless you come to the hospital. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then we'll hook you up. Uh, how about trepanation, man, which you pointed out we talked about before in the lobotomy episode? I think so. It's, I know we've mentioned it at some point because we
0: talked about the movie Pie. Yeah. Where, um, spoiler alert. Oh, yeah, big spoiler. That's how it ends. Yeah, well, self trepanation.
1: It turns out that um, people have done that. There was a guy named um, Bart Hughes who was a, uh, I guess, kind of like a crazy genius from the nineteen sixties. We're just crazy. He decided that um, our brains originally were constructed for us to be walking on all fours, and once we started walking upright, the blood supply to our brain was diminished. Makes
0: sense, in a weird way.
1: He also decided that our skulls had grown to decrease blood flow in Mm -hmm. the brain. Yeah. And that the best way to counteract this was to cut a hole in your skull to allow more blood flow.
0: Yeah, that's what trepanation is, is drilling a hole in your skull.
1: Right, or cutting a whole piece, a square, a circle, like removing a sizable chunk. There's um, evidence of trepanation that goes back thousands of years, like 10,000 years. Yeah. And some of these skulls show almost half the skull removed. But what's crazy is with trepanation, including Bart Hughes' own Mm self-trepanation, the patient frequently survived. Yeah. And this is long before anesthesia. We're talking again, 10,000 years ago, um, where people were basically held down and uh, somebody in, say, Peru or Mesoamerica or India or Russia, all over the place, this this practice was carried out. Yeah. They would grab an obsidian rock and start shaving away at the scalp and then basically chisel out a portion of the skull and remove it to allow the brain to, um, well, either to allow evil spirits out.
0: Yeah, back then that was more of the line of thought.
1: Or... It's possible that they were treating an injury, and this would reduce brain swelling.
0: Uh, I found a great article in Vice. Um, They did an interview with Amanda Fielding, who in the 1970s trepanned herself. Uh, She
1: was a follower of Bart Hughes, I'll bet.
0: She was, I think. Uh, She's the director of the Beckley Foundation, um, who does research into consciousness, man. Mm -hmm. And um, she actually made a little film of her doing it that you can watch. Um it's it looks like super eight and it's like super choppy, it's not very uh intensive, but it two, two and a half stars, but yeah two and a half stars two two tomatoes but um it does show her drilling herself in the head um she said she was very cautious and prepared uh very carefully, but she used an electric drill with a flat bottom and a foot pedal, tested the drill on the membranes of my hand to see if it would damage the skin, and then did it and made a film about it and then she said. Afterward, I wrapped my head in a scarf, uh, ate a steak to replace iron from lost blood, and went to a party. And she points out that she's not advocating self-trepanation at all. Yeah. But she said it benefited her. She said there was a feeling of uh, of the tide coming in slowly and gently, very subtly. And one thing she really noticed was a change in her dream patterns. Her dreams became much less anxious. But she also says that it could be a placebo as well. She acknowledges all that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But it was interesting. I mean, this was the 19... 19- 70s, And I think she was a follower of uh, that guy because she said that the loss of pulse pressure um, in the brain when your fontanelles close, basically, is the reason that she did it. Like she fully believed that.
1: That's Bart Hughes all over the place. Yeah, totally.
0: So um, don't do it, people. No. (laughs) Do we need to say that? I don't think so. I hope not. All right. We got one more. You thought it couldn't get any weirder. Corpse medicine. A.K.A. uh, cannibalism.
1: Yeah, that's another way to put it. Suppose Which we did not we... cover in cannibalism,
0: weirdly, did
1: we? Oh, I'd be surprised. I, don't I think, think we that was did. pretty comprehensive yeah. if we didn't. You I know? don't remember doing it. Huh. Of course, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, corpse medicine or cannibalism is basically eating human flesh to cure disease. Mm-hmm. And apparently, it started out with the Egyptians mm-hmm. who decided that um, if you ate mummies.
0: Yeah, or mummy powder, at least.
1: Yeah. Um, it could cure a lot of different diseases.
0: Yeah, um, like muscle aches and headaches. Uh, they also would rub human fat on, like, topically on your body mm-hmm. if they thought something was wrong. Mm-hmm. Drinking the blood of a gladiator in ancient Rome was uh, supposedly enough to cure your epilepsy. Yeah. How about that?
1: Yeah, drinking blood is a big one. Yeah. Just throughout the ages. Um, and. Speaking of mummies also, it it wasn't just food. There's this awesome Cult of Weird article about mummy brown where up until the 19th century, I think maybe even the 20th century, Uh um, mummies were used to make a specific type of brown pigment used in paints called Ah. mummia. Interesting. Yeah, and then the artists started to figure out where it was actually coming from and they stopped using it. But mummia brown came from mummies.
0: Is that still a color?
1: I think, yeah. So you can get like bear premium plus
0: M- mummy and brown. Right,
1: right. <laughs> I don't think it's made with mummies anymore, but yeah, I've Probably seen it not. before. I'd seen it before I read the article. Huh, So it's out there somewhere.
0: Uh, yeah, what else would they eat? Fat, bones? Yep, fat, bones. Grind it up and eat it.
1: And you'll be cured. That's there's right. a, There's a pretty cool Smithsonian article called The Gruesome History of Eating Corpses of Medicine. If this kind of thing rings your bell. If you just got to know more. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You got anything else? No. You ready for a nap?
1: Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And this one. Yeah. Uh, If you want to know more about bizarre stuff, type the word bizarre in the search bar at howstuffworks.com and it will bring up this and who knows what else.
0: Yeah, we got a lot of bizarre things in there.
1: Yeah, and both of us just said bizarre, so now it's magic listener mail time.
0: Hey, before I read listener mail, uh, uh-huh. I want to ask a favor, uh, uh for, I know, Songs for Kids is a great uh, foundation run out of here in Atlanta, and what they do is they put musicians in children's hospitals and camps for kids with special needs, mm-hmm. and basically play music for them. That's awesome. It's that simple, and it's really neat. And, um, you can start a uh, fundraising page through your band. Right. So I thought, let me try and raise $2,000. Whoa,
1: that's lofty goal. I thought it was pretty small. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what it is.
0: So my uh, old man band, El Cheapo, we started a page, and you can uh, donate as little as $10, and that would really mean a lot to me and those sure. kids. So uh, just go to org slash Chipo E L C H. E-A-P-O. That's the band.
1: Do you have a song in particular you want to play? No. You'll play any of the 500 songs? I'll play any of them. That's a great attitude.
0: Yeah, just go to songsforkidsfoundation.org slash El and like I said, uh, donate $10 or more if you want, and help uh, El Cheapo reach their goal of 2000 and I really appreciate it, folks. Nice. All right, so listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this The or The, The, The or The. Mm-hmm. Greetings from Manhattan, guys. I just finished catching up a few weeks of podcasts. I was excited to hear you mention the pronunciation of the in the folklore episode. I studied vocal music throughout my youth and in college, and one of the more important rules for my teachers that stuck out with me was about the word the. Uh, Word and word combinations can sound surprisingly different when they're sung versus spoken, so there are a bunch of interesting tricks used to counteract this. Uh, Diphthongs are used to emphasize two adjacent vowels so a listener can hear both, while glottal stops create a discrete stop between words so they sound distinct rather than uh, like a big old mess of sounds. Uh, with the word the, the trick is to slightly adjust how it's pronounced. The should be used when it precedes a word beginning with a consonant. Mm-hmm. and uh, The, sorry. And the should be used when it precedes a vowel. It may sound silly and bourgeois, but there is a reason for this. Uh, like Josh Guest, a phrase like the apple sounds normal when it's spoken, but when you're singing and your words are strung together, it starts to sound a lot more like thapple. Makes sense. Uh, Which is weird and a made up word, but switch to the apple and suddenly you've got yourself two fine words that sound recognizable, even when sung. Uh, Next time you're listening to any vocal music, keep an ear out for this. I bet you'll start to notice this use everywhere. Big shout out to my former vocal teacher, uh, Mrs. Alfarth. (laughs) A-U-F-F-A-R-T-H. Alfarth. So you would say the Alfarth. That's right. Uh, not Balfar. So she thanks her for making her such a nut about pronunciation. And that
1: is from Nicole. Thanks a lot, Nicole. Very nice. We appreciate that. Um, more knowledge. Just We just keep packing it in. It's oozing. If you want to impart some more knowledge, if you want to inject it like some sort of urine therapy into our veins.
0: Or botulism in our face.
1: Yeah, uh, you can tweet to us via SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com.